1: Have
2: a warranty arrest for the murder of William Moore. who was the gas station attendant.
1: But you're wrong. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice. A crowdsourced investigation in real time. And I'm Bob Ru. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 7, Episode 19. I'm joined in the studio today, as always, by co-host and producer extraordinaire, the best editor in the business. We call him the podcast mechanic, Mr. Mike Bussing. What's up? (laughs) And uh, then sitting at a 45-degree angle right across the table from me is our other co-host. He draws pictures for a living. That's our good friend and co-host, Mr. Zach Weaver. Ahoy. And So this week, I'm sure we don't have a whole lot of questions because episode 19 was an interview. I I will tell you this, I really enjoyed conducting the interview, just having just a conversation with Jamie where we're not talking all case stuff. And uh, from the response we got from you listeners, it seems like you did too. We do have a few questions and a few things to talk about, so let's go ahead and get started.
0: All right. Leslie says, will you be reporting on the corruption in the McLean County State's Attorney's Office to publicly demonstrate the toxic culture that allows injustice to fester?
1: Yeah. So we do, I do have an episode planned to really break all of this down thoroughly. Some listeners have already started to do, do a little bit of research, backing all the way up to a guy named Jason Chambers, who was the state's attorney prior to Don Knapp, who is the current state's attorney. I haven't researched it deeply enough to talk about it right now, but he's an interesting guy. There there seems to be kind of a history of corruption with him in the SA's office. And and he was, you know, one of the actors who has continually tried to block Jamie from doing any DNA testing. Uh, as a matter of fact, at one point he took to Facebook and and somebody posted, I think it's in one of the the free jamiesnow.com or dot net, one of the one of the websites. Posted screenshots from where he went on to defend his position on Facebook, and there's so many just outright lies and inaccuracies in his facebook rant that it's it's pathetic you know he's he's saying that that the the defense is only ever asked to test one thing and they let him test it, and there's nothing they want to test that could prove jamie's innocence and really made it sound like there's there's nothing that could be done, but as you heard Jamie explain, there's a lot more. That they do want to test. You know, one thing that I suggested to Tara Thompson and she is looking into and they're going to try to file to get done is the MVAC testing on Bill Little's clothing. Because you have a lot of problems with this crime scene because there isn't much of a crime scene. You know, two shots with a 22 from a couple feet away in a public place. You know, so you know, just because you find somebody's fingerprints or you find somebody's DNA at the crime scene doesn't necessarily mean they had anything to do with it. So Chambers isn't wrong necessarily about that when saying that, you know, just because you can put somebody in the gas station doesn't mean that Jamie Snow didn't do it. But based on what Jamie told us, did you catch Zach that he said that he had had never in his entire life been in that gas station? He did say that. Yeah, I did catch that. Yeah. And so for me, that was big because, okay, let's flip the script and say, OK, you, you can't say that because you put somebody in the gas station means they're involved with the murder. Mm-hmm. But can you put Jamie Snow in the fucking gas station?
2: Yeah, that's I mean, if he's never really been there, then there should be no way to put him there.
1: Yeah. And it, and it should it should say something to the the prosecutors that he's saying to test test everything. Blood, he said he's had to test under the um the fingerprint lifts is one thing that they're trying to get DNA testing for, which is kind of a newer technology. Mm hmm. You know the because you know when Mike and I went to the fingerprint lab down in Mississippi last year, a couple of years ago, we learned a lot about fingerprints and what a fingerprint actually is. It's just the oils that are excreting from your skin. So like along, we got to look at like under a microscope what fingerprints actually look like, and they so along the ridges in your in your fingers, along those little ridges. There's a millions of little bitty pores that are excreting this oil. And so when you know you touch something, it leaves the oil there. But that oil contains your DNA. Okay. And the way they used to collect fingerprints, they still do in some cases, but a lot of times now they use chemicals and ultraviolet lights to pull fingerprints. Uh, but the typical way of doing it is they dust with this, this powder. And they, showed, they actually gave us some kits. It's kind of cool. They take this powder and they dust it over things and it attaches to those organic substances that oil. Okay. And then so they, they they dust it and then they kind of blow it off and dust it and you know and use a little brush to to wipe everything away so it only leaves the the powder on the oils from the ridges which leaves a clear imprint of the fingerprint. And then they take a piece of tape, they put it over that lift it off so all of that the oil and the oil that's covered with the black powder or white powder depending on what the surface was they pulled it off of Mm -hmm. and then they put that onto a piece of paper like a cardboard or not it's kind of between cardboard and paper just like a tag board so you can see it and then that's that's what they use for the fingerprints to to analyze them well what they figured out years later was if you actually pull that tape back apart that you can pull the DNA off of those fingerprints, hmm. so they can swab those oil ridges.
2: Would it destroy the fingerprints, though?
1: It would, but they're already in a system. Okay, you know. So the way they do, I it— I guess
2: that makes sense. I didn't think about that, but I was thinking about if you did it, it would destroy.
1: Well, oh, back in the day, you couldn't do it because of, because of the destruction. So the way it used to be done was all those cards were kept like at the FBI lab. It's one of the it's the holdup we have right now with Ed Eight for years now, is trying to get the fingerprints. From the crime scene, mm-hmm. from the murder of Elnor Griffin, because, you know, the cards were taken. They were sent to the FBI and Quantico for analysis, and then they have this catalog, and they're literally little cards with those fingerprints in them. Okay. Now, years later, they began where they would actually scan those prints in and photograph them and then put them into an electronic database. So with, the, with today's technology, they could take the cards, the actual fingerprint cards from Bill Little's murder— and they could scan them, photograph them, put them into the database. And I don't even know if that's ever been done, to put them into APHIS. Okay. And then once that's done, now you have them. Mm-hmm. You can pull them apart with, a, with a, a Q-tip is what it looks like, a swab. Swab the inside of those that tape and get a DNA profile.
2: Hmm. That's interesting.
1: Yeah. Now, the problem is, again, anybody whose DNA is there, you could say, well, they were a customer. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it doesn't do us a whole lot of good. But what it what it does to me is is as Jamie said, it's just all this stuff mounts and and builds. So if you, if you test every possible thing you can possibly test in that gas station, mm-hmm. and you can't come up with a single one of Jamie Snow's fingerprints, you can't come up with any of Jamie Snow's DNA. You can't put him into the gas station. That that just it, it's not exonerating, but it's it's heading towards that way. Yeah. What's the what's that saying? I can't ever get it right.
2: The absence of absence of evidence is yeah, no, that's um, not right.
1: I always mess that up. Absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Okay. Is, I think, what you're looking for. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I mean, that alone is not going to exonerate Jamie Snow, but it adds to it. And then also, you know, if you find, say you find some of these other actors that we've looked at mm-hmm. in there, other, other suspects, maybe, maybe you find the guy that Gutierrez and Martinez both identified and you find his DNA there you know, on yeah. you know, somewhere like right around the cash register. At least you at least you have a breadcrumb, a lead to start mm-hmm. with. But it's it's tough. It's a tough crime scene. But what what I've suggested to Tara to do is to use MVAC, which we've discussed this before. I don't know if we've discussed it in season seven, so some of you newcomers real very, very quickly, the old method of testing DNA is what I just described, where you take a, a Q tip with a sterile solution on it, you wipe it over a surface, and then they take the end of that Q tip. And then they they put it through a subterfuge, I think it's called, and then they come out and then it pulls the DNA out of it. MVAC uses an actual like wet, dry shop-back type thing. Okay. And so they, they can take something like Bill Little's shirt and it will, will with high pressure, you put it into a sterilized bin, the whole shirt in there, and with this wand, I actually got to in the in the making, the filming of the oxygen TV series we have coming on the West Memphis three, I got to go to California and to an MBAC lab and see how this is done. And it, it sprays the whole thing with high pressure with a sterile solution, which agitates anything. So any skin cells that are not just on the surface, you know, with, with the Q-tip method say, Zach, your shirt right there. If I wanted to test that for DNA, I would have to kind of guess where would be some places I should test. Okay. And then swab those little areas. Pick a few spots uh-huh. and then hope that we get a profile. That's what we did with Jesse Eldridge's case on Kial Gove's clothing, but with with no results, we didn't find what we were looking for. But we just had to pick certain spots. And that's another case where I've suggested to Allison, and she's gotten contact with the CIU, and hopefully that's something they'll do: is to take that entire shirt, you completely soak the whole shirt, and then it uses a vacuum to suck all of that liquid back out of the shirt, the bin, everywhere. And it sucks it through this cotton filter, this sterile filter, and catches everything on the way through. That's that super duper microscopic filter, and so that kind of becomes the swab, okay, like the the Q tip. Mm-hmm. And and then they t- and then they cut that into pieces and and spin it and look for DNA in it, and it finds like two hundred times more DNA. Well,
2: that's pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's literally stuff that's down in the fibers. It's a perfect method for both Jesse Eldridge's case. And for Jamie Snow's case, because my feeling is, whoever killed him, there's a high likelihood that at some point they at least grabbed him. Okay, you know, if it's to threaten him or whatever. So if you know, if Mike's Bill Little, that you know, they would they would grab his shirt like this, mm-hmm. you know, like listen, mf'er, you know, whatever, you know, whatever threats are doing or grab him by the collar. Well, with this impact that what I just did to Mike's shirt, if for the Patreon people that are watching on video, you see this, what I'm doing right here. Right now, my skin cells have been left all over that part of the shirt. You would never find them with traditional methods, but you can find them with MBAC. So that is DNA that if they're able to to draw it out through MBAC. Now, you find someone's DNA on the victim's shirt.
2: Mm-hmm. That's
1: a different story than just finding it in the gas station. Yeah, But all of this stuff, back to the original question as far as kind of the, the corruption in the, the state's attorney's office there in McLean County. I mean, this is nothing that we heard. remember Steve Vogel that was on in episode one, um, who's a writer and, and knows all the history of Bloomington. I mean, for a small town, they have a number of wrongful convictions there. I would say per capita, their wrongful convictions are probably just as high, if, if not higher than most of the other places. You know, a lot of places down in Texas have a lot of them. I mean, they have a lot considering there's only 100,000 people that live in the Bloomington normal area. Some officer that I was just reading about when Chambers was in office, where Chambers was protecting this officer. You have Jeff Pilo, who's in prison right now for being a serial rapist.
2: Mm-hmm. It sounded like there was a, a prosecuting attorney or something too that had some weird sexual assault things going on.
1: That's who I'm talking about. Okay. It was the Jason Chambers is is that's the guy, and I'm not maybe it was him. I thought he was protecting someone else was the deal, but you may be right.
2: Well, I think it was him protecting, but the way it came across was it was someone within office. It sounded like it was in a female.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that's the one I was, and that's the one I want to get into when we cover that case because I don't know all the details about it. But yeah, that definitely happened. And like I said, then we have P. Right now, there's a normal police officer that's being uh, charged for theft. I guess there was a drug overdose, a death, and he went into this house and stole a bunch of money from these people. Normal
2: as in the city. The, the city town. normal. Yeah. yeah. Not a normal police officer.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. The city of normal police officer. Correct. It took me a minute to think about that. (laughs) But all that is part of the Bloomington Normal is all part of the McLean County. It all falls under the same uh, realm. And then, Mike, didn't somebody else say say on that post that they had a run-in with the
0: Bloomington Normal? Yeah, listener Chris had something to say about that. He says, our family had a run-in with Katz and Barkus around 2004 when my daughter was unfortunately involved in a suicide of one of her friends. He writes, she was interrogated in similar fashion as Jamie's ex-wife and sister-in-law to try and pin the act on another one of their friends as a murder. The kid actually was arrested and put in jail for murder and had to go to trial, but was luckily acquitted. It ruined his life. He says there are many more cases like this, and he knows it.
1: Yeah, it seems to be, especially with these two officers. And the thing is, that when you take a, a, a police department like Bloomington, just having a couple of, of bad characters like this can bring down the whole system, because it's not like the city of Dallas, you know, where you have thousands, literally thousands of police officers. Yeah. And if you got a a crooked cop, he's one of many. You know, you take a city like Bloomington, these two guys would literally investigate every single murder in that town. Mm -hmm. That's their job. They probably don't even have a homicide division. They're just the guys that handle the homicides. So them having this history of corruption is really, really bad for the city. And it's probably why they have such a, a, a high number of wrongful convictions for such a small community. You know, and and as I said, they have right now the 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 normal police officer that is being charged with theft. And so, really, what I wanted to do is, I as, as I said, I was going to in the episode this week is I reached out to State's Attorney Don Knapp and requested an interview, uh, which he promptly responded to and, and declined, mm-hmm. uh, which wasn't much of a surprise. But it's I get why, but it's it's frustrating for me because to me, I I would like to I would like to sit down with him not beat up on him, you know, and there were some people that are like, well, why would they after Colleen Barnett got beat up so bad in season six? Colleen Barnett only faced the backlash she faced because she came on the show and lied. That was it. If you recall, when she first gave the interview, I said, listen, I respect the fact that she came on and Mm -hmm. she was willing to discuss the case. I think that's awesome. We have a better picture of what happened now because she did it. And then we find out that she came on and knowingly, willfully, and intentionally lied through her teeth about the case and gave false information intentionally. That's why she got a hard time, not because she came on the show and interviewed. But NAP NAP declined. And what I want to ask is is say, okay, I'm not suggesting there's enough evidence out there to prove Jamie Snow is innocent. Mm -hmm. I 100% believe he's innocent, but knowing how the standards and the burdens of proof are within the court system and the appeals process, I know that we can't go in with what we have and present to a judge, say he should be fully exonerated on actual innocence because of this. There's not enough there. But what there is enough is to clearly show that the man did not receive a fair trial. Mm -hmm. And that should be enough. And that's, I'd want to ask Don Knapp what if, if you're, if anyone close to you or you were in this position and you have a case that was 100% circumstantial, there was no physical evidence tying the individual to the crime. And they were convicted based on all this confession testimony. Uh And now you know, one after another, after another, after another, these witnesses are coming forward and recanting their testimony and revealing that not only did they lie, but they lied because they were either threatened or given a a sweetheart deal by the state in order to go up there and lie. So he's been so so he's been convicted because of false testimony. And then you find out that the prosecution withheld evidence again, knowingly, willfully, and intentionally withheld evidence from the defense, exculpatory evidence in order to get their conviction, and that's all been revealed, shouldn't that be enough to you, Mr. Don Knapp, to stop fighting against giving Jamie Snow a new trial? I'm not saying a full exoneration. I'm saying he deserves to have a fair trial. Trial and clearly, if you could, if you could sit, this is what the question I would ask you if you were here, if you could sit across a table from me and look me in the eyes and tell me that you think he got a fair trial, then I guess I'm not going to stop fighting, but I would at least respect you enough to sit there and, and and take a stand on it because there is no way any clear thinking, logical individual can make the argument that the man had a fair trial. There's no freaking way that that's possible, and since he didn't have a fair trial. The proper course of action should be to overturn the conviction, order a new trial, and then you, Mr. Knapp, can decide is there enough evidence for you to try him again properly and fairly, or should the charges be dropped?
0: Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky in line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, side note on this
2: whole situation. Do you think that the whole McLean County, cats and Barkus thing with this case is malicious towards Jamie or do you think it's just them trying to close a case?
1: I think it's rarely malicious toward the wrongfully convicted. I don't think these guys set out to go after Jamie Snow. I think what it what it has to do with in this case and in most cases is closing a cold case. It's that small town politics trying to be the hero, mm-hmm. the guys that put an end to it, and Jamie was the easy one. You know, they they had a few people saying he confessed, and, and it speaks volumes to the the quality of the investigation. Once you know, based on the investigation up to that point, mm-hmm. you know there's no physical evidence, which means not only can you not tie Jamie to it, but you can't tie anyone
2: mm-hmm.
1: to the crime. So you know you can't tie anybody to the crime with evidence. You, have, you know you have witnesses that neither one of them is describing anyone that looks like Jamie Snow.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But you do have the Luna Boys. Carlos who says now now of course they they hid the evidence where he had told him he couldn't identify anyone couldn't make a drawing, didn't get a good enough look at him, but they kept in the part where he said it could have been Jamie Snow in the lineup okay so that so the so they got him, and then you've got these people coming forward and saying that he had confessed to them you know once the rumor mill got started so i I think they went after Jamie because he was not only the easiest but the only mm-hmm. route for them to go down,
2: and the reason I asked that is because the more and more we get into this, the more I feel like maybe not necessarily totally malicious towards him, but I feel like there there's something there that keeps pushing them back to Jamie. Because in like your season five case with the West Memphis Three, mm-hmm. again, I'm not saying that it's right or anything like that, but they forced that to a closure quickly because of the, the tragedy of that murder. Three little boys getting murdered that they right. wanted to close that case ASAP. Yes. Regardless of who they got. Mm-hmm. Where this one is, the timeline is so long, that's where I feel weird about them just trying to close the case.
1: Well, I think that, that Bill Little's family and friends just would not let it go. Okay. You know, they 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 kept pushing and pushing and pushing. They were not letting it go.
2: See, it's interesting you say that because this is the first time I'm, I've, even if this is just a theory that I've heard this, uh-huh. saying that Bill Little's family wouldn't let it go. For sure his mother.
1: Okay. I mean, she was every year going out and she was petitioning for l- new laws to... Keep the windows clear and visible in mm-hmm. these convenience stores, so that people could see in because you know they were boarded up windows.
2: See, I'm happy to hear this part because this is something I think needs to be out there that we haven't talked about at all.
1: Yeah, so I think that was a big part of it, but I don't think it's the only part of it. I think the other piece is that they had this cold case division. Okay, and these guys take over. Well, it's just like anything in small government and big government alike. But I can speak to the small government being a firefighter for all those years is you have to justify every dollar. That's spent and justify every program, and so here is this cold case division, and they really only have one real important cold case, which was a murder, mm-hmm. and they need to solve it to prove that the case, the the cold case division or whatever needs to exist, and and it's it's a way to get a promotion. If the guy that can pop up and say I solved the Bill Little homicide in a, in a small town like Bloomington, that's a big deal. So I think that played a lot more into it after the fact. Now. I think it has much more to do with the same thing we always see, which is the state's attorney's office doesn't want to admit they made a mistake. Mm -hmm. They dig their heels in they don't want to open themselves up to lawsuits. They don't want to look like they didn't do a good job. And they're always protecting, you know, the previous administrations, especially in a case like this. You know, it's a little different like now in Smith County, Texas, where Ed Eights was convicted because, you know, the guy who got elected, uh, Jacob Putman, you know, was running against. The incumbents, which was, you know, everywhere from Jack Skeen to David Dobbs to Matt Bingham, that's been this, you know, this this kind of incestuous almost, you know, group. It's all in the family. Prosecutors, but Putnam ran against that in one. So I don't think he's necessarily trying to protect the old regime anymore. Uh, but here you have um, w- with Jason Chambers before him and Don Knapp and 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 all the way back to Reynard and Tina Griffin. Everybody's trying to protect the people behind him. I think that's a lot more to do with
0: it. All right, Deb says I'm trying to find out how we've come up with the exact time that Bill was shot. Well, we don't have an exact time, I and mean, we're kind of presuming the exact
1: time. But again, you know, a lot of our witness testimony is getting flipped on its head right now. But the, the time that we have been assuming, a little more than an assumption, we do have some evidence to back that up. Is that somewhere around eight twenty to eight twenty one? Bill was killed, and the reason for that is we have the no sale at eight oh six. We have a no-sale at 8.12? I think it's 8.12. Yeah. at 8.15. 8. Yeah, at 8.12, another no-sale at 8.15. The silent alarm was pressed at 8.16. Mm-hmm. So we know we know for sure a couple things from that. Something was happening in the gas station between 8.06, 8.12, 8.15, all those no-sales. That's someone opening the drawer when it's not supposed to be open. Mm-hmm. We know for sure... Bill was still alive at eight sixteen because he pressed the alarm. Mm-hmm. We know for sure that Pilo arrived on scene at about eight twenty one p.m. So we've got that five minute window where Bill had to have been killed.
2: Mm-hmm. And then we can narrow it down too because even though we're you know we don't fully believe Martinez, we can at least put Martinez there, right? For sure, because Pilo saw him, mm-hmm. and he's where we're kind of getting that time frame of the the noises.
1: Yeah, so 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 Martinez says that while he's walking back and forth, starts towards the station, comes back towards again back, that he heard two bangs. He thought was maybe his car backfiring, which I think was probably the gunshots. I think his erratic behavior of going back and forth was because he was scared mm-hmm. because of the the gunshots that he heard, that he thought he heard. So I think, I think we're pretty pretty good with sticking with somewhere around 8.20, 8.21 Bill was shot, which again then still leaves us with an issue of why the drawer was open the last time at 8.15. That's when the money's taken. 8.16, the silent alarm is pressed. The drawer's never closed again after that. Why the five minutes before he's killed, which is again why I think that the MVAC DNA testing of Bill's clothing could finally reveal to us who killed him. So on that note, my, I have a heart out today. My wife had a minor surgery yesterday, and I have to leave here in just a few minutes to go take her back for a follow-up appointment. So uh, we had a few more questions. Most of them weren't related to this episode, so we'll just save those for next week, Mike. But I but can you go ahead and read uh, – Ed Eight's wife, Kim, put a note, more of a comment on the the follow-up page that I think everyone should hear.
0: Yeah, Kim wrote, I don't have a question but an observation. Jamie reminds me so much of Edward that while listening to him, I couldn't do anything but cry. My heart breaks for him, and it makes me sick to my stomach that there are too many men and women in these prisons for crimes that someone else committed, and the people that put them there are not held accountable. How are they able to do this? I pray that you're able to get him out of there because he's not living. He's just existing. I wish I could hug him. Well, Kim,
1: I couldn't have said it any better myself. I've I've mentioned before that Jamie very much reminds me of Ed. And so it's it's interesting that uh, you, who know Ed better than anyone else, has that same impression. You know, the to me the you know we were, haven't talked much about some of the not case relevant things that Jamie discussed in our conversation, like his kind of silent protests about refusing to eat the Thanksgiving meal. Like when he said that, I mean, I was choked up when he and I were talking about it, even because it was that's Ed me. Like, like I can see, I mean, I'm sure Ed probably ate the meal, but that's the type of thing that Ed eats would do. He, he, he never accepted that he was supposed to be in there. And Jamie refuses to accept that he's going to die in that prison. He refuses to accept that the last Thanksgiving meal he's ever going to eat is going to be in prison. And I really respect him for taking that stance. I, I'm amazed every time I talk to him how well He's able to keep up just his outlook on life and his attitude. I know this is killing him. I know this process that we're putting him through right now is hard. Hope is hard. You know, when you go through the stages of grief and you you finally get to a place where you almost have to accept the position you're in in order to live, most of the time these guys get to that point and then we come in and we're giving them hope and they're almost having to relive the grief process again. So Everybody, keep Jamie in your thoughts. If you're a prayer, your prayers. And we're going to keep on fighting. And this week on Sunday, we do have some new information, a new tip, a new lead that could possibly lead to us figuring out who killed Bill Little. A big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, and Jen Reese In Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd really like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com truthandjustice. And uh, then sitting at a 45 degree angle right across the table from me is our other co host. He draws pictures for a living. That's our good friend and co host, Mr. Zach Weaver. Ahoy. Why are you talking like that, Bob? Uh, again, I'm trying to do something a little different. <clears throat> I like it. I like it. You, <clears throat> said, a, you said ahoy again, huh? Uh, yeah. You went went back to that one. We had to go back to that one. <laughs> You're really going to throw him for a loop. Right. <laughs> what is happening? Then Bob and Weaver. like Bob. we're getting ready to party or something. <laughs> Uh, so you just said ahoy. All right. Uh,
0: and no, they <laughs> <laughs> can't do it. It's broke. Right. I still didn't get my five seconds of silence either, I'll which I never get anymore. You'll get it here in just a second.